The funny thing with, with people that, you know, they, they consider Noah to be a, a benevolent figure, you know? Because he looked after the animals. Oh, Noah, knowing the animals is like, kidding me? This is a dude that stood by and watched the entire population of the planet perish. He's not benevolent. You know? He's not even he's not even nice. You know what I mean? At one point in the story, his son says, you know, I thought you were chosen because you were good. And he goes, I was chosen because I can get the job done, mate. Russell Crowe as theologian. The, the gladiator as theologian. I love that. You have stuff going on all the time. You live on the seesaw, the ups and the downs. I had something going on this week. Through our student ministry auction, I purchased the personal trainer gift package. Yes. I said, I am going to challenge myself. I am going to do this. So last week, I set up two sessions with a personal trainer. My personal trainer turned out to be Attila the Hun. I'd never had a personal trainer before. Uh, can you imagine being married to Attila the Hun? Attila, honey, can you take out the garbage? Rawr. Attila, honey, can you help the kids with their, with their homework before you go out marauding? Rawr. You know, it's like, and this is how my trainer was. He would say, okay, do 10 of these, and I'd do 10. He'd go, do two more. And he'd say, do 15 of these, I'd do 15. He'd say, do five more. And he would count. He would annoyingly count five. Four, three, and he was not sweating. He was fine. He was not doing anything but torturing me. I, I, didn't, I didn't need this. I'm like, I am hurting. I'm only here today by the miracle of duct tape. There is duct tape holding me together. I had two sessions. Every muscle in my body aches. I live on a seesaw. My life goes up. My life goes down. And you live there too. You have stuff going on all the time. What's really going on? What answers do you need? How do you need God to show up? It all starts with more. Why does the story of this boat and the man who made it still grab for our attention today? Why are they doing a major motion picture about Noah starring Russell Crowe as Noah to be released in March of next year. Why? What does this story mean? What does it mean to you? Are there transferable lessons? And if so, why do they transfer? So let me tell you the story of a man and his boat. Let me take you back thousands of years into a book called Genesis. At the very end of Genesis chapter 4, we read these words. That's when men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. He always wanted to be good. He always liked talking to God. It calmed him. He didn't care what anyone else thought. As long as he was connected to his source of being, he could survive just about anything. But on this day, he wasn't sure of that last thought. Build a big boat? What did he know about boats? He was a farmer. He was good with his hands in the dirt. But he knew God's voice as well as he knew the sound of wind moving across a field. So he was now a shipbuilder. Year after year, he built it. With his sons, he built it. 
Decade melted into decade. The huge, towering frame made him a laughing stock. He was the town fool, the desert dolt. His friends mocked and kept farming. He missed the feeling of dirt crumbling between his fingers. He missed the way his life used to be marked by seasons of planting and harvesting. He missed the pride of eating what came from his sweat. It was annoying when the tar stayed under his fingernails for a week. It was annoying when his sons argued about whose turn it was to rest. It was agonizing when year 99 rolled in and there wasn't even a hint of rain. Gathering the animals was the final humiliation. What are you thinking, people queried for the millionth time? Have you completely lost your mind? Sometimes it takes a little longer to see where God is heading, he thought. Sometimes there is a cost to believing. And just when his faith had stretched about as far as it could go, there came an unusual cold wind up from the east. The air smells different today, he thought. Well, that's when it happened. On a day like that, it's good to have a big boat. I see the story of Noah unfolding through these chapters of Genesis in Acts. Act 1, 2, 3, 4. As often I see stories in the Bible, they have twists and turns. The drama rises and falls. The seesaw goes up and the seesaw comes down. So let me begin with Genesis chapter 6. Act 1, I call it a big boat. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, it would be wrong of us to presuppose that that meant Noah was some kind of a perfect person, some kind of an amazing human being who was so much different than anybody else. What was the distinguishing characteristic about Noah as we learn from reading Scripture and understanding this distinguishing characteristic in other people's lives, from Nehemiah to to Mary, to the Apostle Paul, back to Esther. That distinguishing characteristic is a wholehearted devotion to God. It's that being able to say, God, I don't understand it, and I don't always get what you're doing, but if you chose me, if you picked me, then I will do this, I will stand here, I will have this baby. I will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I will go to the king. And and so Noah is, is that kind of a person. The scripture says that God looks all over the earth to see if there's anyone whose heart is totally dedicated to him. And when God looked, he saw Noah. And so he picked Noah. He could rebuild with Noah. He could do something new with Noah because of Noah's heart. Because of the way that he thought. He thought differently. Just the fact that you're here this morning says something about you. It says you are thinking differently about life and about faith. This chapter that I call Act One, A Big Boat, says that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. In verse 14, God says to Noah, So make yourself an ark. Noah was a farmer. 
It's a farmer. God says, make this big boat. Let me tell you what I found out about the boat. The displacement tonnage of the ark, which is the weight of water it would displace at a draft of 22 feet, would be more than 22,000 tons. By comparison, the USS Salem, a 716-foot-long heavy cruiser commissioned in 1949, had a displacement tonnage of 21,500 tons. The ark's gross tonnage, which is, measured, which is a measure of cubic space, would be 15,100 tons. The ark's total volume would have been 1,518,000 cubic feet. This would equal the capacity of 569 modern railroad stock cars. The standard size for a stock car is 44 feet long and a volume of 2,670 cubic feet. This would make a train more than five and a half miles long. The floor space of the ark would cover over 101,000 square feet. This would be more floor space than 21 standard college basketball courts. By comparing the measurements of the ark, it is easy to see that it would be comparable to today's ocean-going vessels. It was probably the largest vessel of its type built until the late 1800s when metal ships were first constructed. It was 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. It was 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, which is just a little bit higher than the top of the roof that you're sitting under right now. The ark was built on a 1.6 ratio. The science of naval architecture reveals that the most stable ratio for an ocean-going vessel is 1 to 6. I, I should have said the ark was built on a 1 to 6 ratio. Most stable ratio, the science of naval architecture says 1.6. All modern-day ocean-going vessels use this same length-to-width ratio. It is estimated that the ark could easily have survived even the largest of ocean waves. The design of the ark would have made it almost impossible to turn over. There's a lot of debate about the animals and how many animals. Let's, let's go with a high estimate. If there were 40,000 animals on the ark, it would only use 29% of the interior space. And right now, there's a guy in the Netherlands who is actually building a full-size model of the ark. He built a one-tenth size model. He had 600,000 people show up to see it. So make yourself an ark, Noah. Chapter 6 ends, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He was a farmer. That's what he knew. What do, you, what do you know how to do? Think about your job. What do you really know how to do? What can you do in your sleep? What can you do without even thinking about it? And then go 180 out to something totally opposite. And what if God says, now you're going to do this? And, and you don't understand, but you have the heart to serve God with every ounce of strength that's inside of you. That's what truly defines people who follow Christ. That's what defines people who want to know God deeply. They're willing to do what he says. They're willing to answer his call. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Noah was that kind of a person. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Act 2. Act 2. Again, in, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, it says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Act 2 I call a big rain. Okay. A 
a big rain. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on that 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And verse 24, as the chapter ends, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And you know what happened. We can see destruction when it happens with water. Last year, Sandy just battered the East Coast, and we saw the devastation that can happen when, when a superstorm comes together. And so it was, it was well enough of nature's power to make everything go away and to create a palette upon which would, would start something new again with someone who was totally dedicated to him. Genesis 8, Act 3. I call this a big day. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, he was 601. When you're 601, you get one candle on your cake. That's it. You get the one in the middle. That's it. The water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. It doesn't say this, but probably his, his farmer's heart started to beat fast within him. And God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And here's what it says in verse 20 of this act three, a big day. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He comes out. It's the first thing that he does. What does he do? He goes to church. He goes to a worship experience. He prays. Maybe he sings. Maybe he just thinks. But this, this shows his character. Again, this shows the kind of person that God picked because he was wholeheartedly dedicated to God and what God wanted to do. He didn't understand everything yet, but he was a do-whatever-it-takes person and keep your focus aligned with what God is focused on. It's what I always call living a seamless life of faith. Sunday isn't different than Monday, and Monday isn't different than Tuesday, and Friday is the same as every other day. It's always faith and your life and what God is trying to say to you that's coming together. And so where's your altar? Maybe your altar is in your office when you pray for just a couple of minutes. Maybe your, your altar's in your car when you're driving somewhere, whether it's local or long distance, and you take a moment of that time to tell God how, how thankful you are for his blessings in your life. Maybe it's at a kitchen table. Maybe it's sitting in a, in a chair in a sunroom. Wherever it is, it's an altar. You make it. You make it. He built an altar. He made that space. You can make that space happen in your life. And that's what delights the very heart of God. When you stop for just a moment and you say, I remember you. And I know you remember me. And I know we're doing this together. And I know everything in my life depends upon you and, and everything that I have came from you. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. 
Act 4, Genesis chapter 9. A big sign. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Which harkens back to the early chapters of Genesis where you had Adam and Eve and and they were given charge by God to, to fill the earth and to subdue it. God started there. Now God's starting all over again, but it's the same concept, the same idea. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant, that promise that I've made between us, between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Whenever you see a rainbow, it's stunning. It's amazing. It's incredible. Whenever I see a rainbow on the beach when I'm doing a wedding, it's like God has put his great hand of blessing on that moment. The other, uh, the other week, back in August, I did a, a wedding down at the beach, about 82nd Street, and there was a double rainbow that appeared. It was overwhelming. And I've seen rainbow after rainbow after rainbow, and each one stops me in my tracks and sort of takes your breath away. And whenever you see rainbow, what do you look to do? You always look to, to tell somebody, look, a rainbow. Look, if there's somebody by you, you go, look, a rainbow. And we were in New York City this summer, and at ground zero, we saw this, this rainbow that is, a ref in that building, there's a reflection of the Freedom Tower. It's about two blocks away from the Freedom Tower. But there's that rainbow over lower Manhattan reminding us again. We just, we just stop. We just stop. Reminding us again of who God is and what God has promised to do in us and through us and with us and for us. That's a big sign. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. You have stuff going on all the time. But what's really going on? What answers do you need to your life right now? How do you need God to show up? It all starts with more. About seven, eight months ago, I talked to you about uh, the lifestyle attributes that really matter to Americans they came out of a book called What Americans Really Want by Frank Luntz. Allow me to briefly go over those quickly with you today. The five lifestyle attributes that really matter to the American people. Number one, Americans want more money, more money. For women, that translates as personal satisfaction and happiness. Personal satisfaction and happiness. For men, it translates as more freedom, the ability to do what I want, when I want to do what I want, and how I want to do it, just to be free, to, to go out and to experience everything there is for me to experience. That's, that's what more money means. Fewer hassles, 
simpler products, simple to use technology. We don't want all the, the techno wizardry that we can't figure out. We don't want buttons to push and we don't know how many layers there are to the buttons. We keep it simple. Allow it to be intuitive. Allow us to, to be, allow our lives to be enhanced by technology, not to be encumbered by technology. Fewer hassles, simple products, more time, more time. This is a conundrum, isn't it? We get the same amount of time every single day. But why is it that some days go fast? Some days go slow. Some days it seems like time is dragging. Sometimes you, you can't stop it. We all get the same amount of time. How are we using that time? Why do we say we want more time, more choices? Really? When Travis was talking about this up in Williamsburg, I was listening to his message. He goes, I go into the grocery store aisle with cereal with my children, looking for cereal for my children. And he goes, and I weep at all the choices. I just weep. More choices, really? It might work in the supermarket aisle, but it gets complicated in the meaning of life arena. More choices, more choices of politics, more choices of religion, more choices of educational philosophies. What are we really talking about here? What kind of choices, more choices of, of, of channels, all these channels, thousands of channels and opportunities to see things and hear things and go places, more choices, no worries. No worries. On what planet does this work? No worries. Here's the bad news. More doesn't work. More is D-O-A. Why? Because it doesn't begin with the right premise. If you begin with what you think will make you feel better, and that what will make you feel better is in this world, you're starting at the wrong Starting point. It's just not the right place to start. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. More works. Well, you just said more doesn't work. More works. More is what God wants for you. It's what God wants for us. Why? Because God wants you to have more of him. More of what he wants you to have for the purposes of what he is doing with you and through you. More of what is going to last forever. And when you have that kind of more, all other kinds of more fall into the right slots. And when you don't have that kind of more, everything else just presses you to a wall and you feel tired all the time. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, there's a statement about, about Noah. By faith, Noah when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark. Why could he do that? Because he wanted more of what God had for him. He didn't have to see it. He just had to know that God had chosen him and there was something in God's plan for his life that was out there in the future and that's where he wanted to go. That defines more. It is the definition of more. When God's got something out there for you, it's better than anything you could ever plan for yourself. And you embrace that and you live for that and you pant hard after that, just as it says in the psalm, as the deer 
pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. The world in which Noah lived wasn't much different than the world in which we're living. We build big ships, one to six ratio, one to six ratio. He built a big ship. We go to the zoo. He had his own zoo. He had breaking news. You get the picture. The world in which we live isn't a whole lot different. We have to figure out what this more is. So here are Noah's lessons about more that spoke to my heart. Number one, more is grounded in obedience. You've got to live what you say you believe. You've got to live that out. A seamless life of faith is what God has always asked of us. That's what Noah did. It is his living epitaph. It's why there's going to be a big movie about Noah next year. It's amazing. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. One of the greatest pictures of all time just finished his last season. As soon as I say his name, you know, you know him. Mariano Rivera. He finished his playing days with the New York Yankees about a week, two weeks ago. You know, he went all over the, the league in his final tour of all the stadiums, and, and he received a lot of, of recognition. But do you know what he did? He went behind the scenes. He went to the people who were selling hot dogs and french fries, and he looked them in the eye, and he shook their hands, and he said, thank you. He went to the people who were in the office doing admin stuff, and he shook their hands, and he hugged them, and he said, thank you. He went all behind the scenes in the stadium culture, and he looked people in the eye, and he said, thank you. And he did that because of who he is. Not just the greatest closer of all time. Not just the person to probably get into the Hall of Fame on, on the first ballot. But because of this, he was quoted in New York Magazine back in June. Everything I have and everything I became is because of the strength of the Lord. And through him, I have accomplished everything. Not because of my strength, only by his love, his mercy, and his strength. You don't own your gifts like a pair of jeans. He put it in me for me to use it to bring glory not to Mariano Rivera, but to the Lord. And now you see why I'm a Yankee fan. It's God's team. <laughs> and do you know what Mariano Rivera is doing now that he is retired from an illustrious career, a stunning career in baseball? Do you know what he's doing? He's starting a church. He's starting a church in his home with 50 to 60 people that want to be wholeheartedly dedicated to whatever God wants to do through them. That's what he's doing. More is grounded in obedience. This church started in a home with eight people saying, let's do this. God has called us to do this. More is grounded in obedience. 
More is sustained by, and I put this word in quotations, more is sustained by marketing the truth. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about marketing, but you know, let, me, let me explain. More is sustained by marketing the truth. This book is called Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. More than 5,000 people groups totaling approximately 1.5 billion people 1.5 billion people are currently classified as unreached and unengaged. Unreached means that a people group does not contain an indigenous, indigenous community of evangelical Christians with adequate numbers and resources to spread the gospel within the people group. Unengaged means no church or organization is actively working within that people group to spread the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. In other words, for these 1.5 billion unreached and unengaged peoples, almost every individual within them is born, lives, and dies without ever hearing the gospel. Even worse, no one is currently doing anything to change their situation. No one. One of my good friends spent time recently among unreached and unengaged peoples in Southeast Asia. As he talked with villagers in one remote area, he tried to uncover their core beliefs. He asked them, how were we created? They responded, we don't know. He asked, who sends the rain for the crops? They responded, we don't know that either. Then he asked, what happens when we die? They looked back at him and said, no one has come to tell us about that yet. Soon thereafter, he found himself in another remote village with people who had never heard the gospel. They were warm and hospitable, and they invited him to share a drink with them. One man went into his small shop and reappeared moments later with a classic red Coke can. Immediately, it hit home with my friend. A soft drink company in Atlanta has done a better job getting brown sugar water to these people than the Church of Jesus Christ has done in getting the gospel to them. Now, I don't read that so that we feel guilty. I read that so we realize we got a big job to do. More is sustained by marketing. In other words, more is sustained by getting the truth out there. You've got to put a dent in the world. That's what Christ asked us to do, to put a dent in the world. That's what Noah did. He put a dent in the world. He left a living legacy, and people are still thinking about him today. Third, more is embraced by working for a transcendent cause that is worthy of all you can give. What is the highest purpose you can live for? What's the highest purpose? What is the highest purpose you can live for? God calls you to evaluate and engage your immediate and long-term investment of time and resources in what he is doing. That's the deal. That's what Noah did for 100 years. Not five years building the ark, not 10 years, a decade, and then we'll open up for business. A century. And he kept giving and giving and giving his life away and everything that he had was focused on what the highest purpose of his life was. I had lunch the other day with a CPA. What was interesting was he was saying, you know, I'm looking forward to retiring soon. 
because a couple years ago I found out that it was so much fun to serve people and to just give my life away. That's what my wife and I are going to do for the rest of our lives. We're just going to serve people. We're just going to do whatever God asks us to do and serve people and give, give our lives away. When we combine these three factors of more, more is grounded in obedience. More is sustained by marketing the truth. More is embraced by working for a transcendent cause that is worthy of all you can give. When we combine these three factors of more, we live lives of tangible power. It's his power. We live lives in the real community of growing together and serving together. We become his church, the body of Christ, his hands and his feet in the world. Yeah, life is going up and down all the time. It's like a seesaw up today and down tomorrow, up Wednesday, down Friday. You know it's like that. And as the seesaw ride inexorably goes on, God says this. You can live like that if you want to. Or you can just get off the seesaw. You can live for more. I am more. I want to give you more. I want you to have more. I want you to have it all. Together, we'll do more than you can ever dream or hope for. More drives our lives. Make sure you're getting the right more. Maybe it's time to get off the seesaw. Maybe Russell Crowe was right after all. Maybe God did pick Noah because he knew he could get the job done. Maybe God's got more jobs for us to do and he needs us to get the job done. So let's get off the seesaw and let's get on with the more that changes the world. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for this great story of Noah, a farmer who you said, come do this with me, and he did that. Father, allow us to think like he thought, allow us to act like he acted, allow us to, to put a dent in the world today, allow us to, to live for purposes that are high and lofty because it's all about you and your outreach to the world that still needs to know you. Father, let us be your people. Let us be your church. Father, let us get off this seesaw and have more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.